0: story of the crucifixion. Now we've seen that uh, there are some uh, pretty notorious characters, some villains involved in the story, but there are some outstanding characters in the story as well. Some people are, are disappointments and some people uh, bear the responsibility of uh, the innocent son of God being crucified. But we'll talk a little bit tonight about some, some heroes, at least in my view anyway, some, some heroes in the story. Uh, people like Judas uh, would be uh, some of the, one of the villains as uh, his greed overcame him, of course. He succumbed to that. And for 30 pieces of silver, he betrays the Christ, the Son of God. And then uh, there's uh, Pilate who doesn't have the strength of character to do what he knows is right. He knows Jesus is innocent, but he doesn't have the strength to, to stand up and and persist and deny the crowd's insistence that he deliver Jesus over. We saw last week that Caiaphas uh, was a man who uh, believed uh, that uh, uh, his, his position and the position of the nation was so important that he was willing to, to have an, an innocent man uh, brutal, brutally executed. The, the end for him justified the means. And then of course, there's Peter, who's just a disappointment, isn't he? And so he denies that he even knows the Lord. And so there, there are plenty of people that are disappointments and, and people that are villains and uh, people who uh, uh, who do what's wrong. But, but then there are some people that do what's right as well. And we're going to talk about some of those tonight. Let's just review a little bit the events that lead up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so, if you will, look at, let's look at Mark chapter 14. Jesus is in the garden, of course, in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying there. He asks the Father if it's possible to remove the cup from Him, to remove this experience from Him. And Of course, that's, that's not possible. That's not within the Lord's will. And so Jesus accepts that, and, and He goes to the cross. And uh, Judas betrays Jesus with the kiss. He's delivered over to the soldiers. He's taken. He's uh, bound. And then, of course, he's, he's led away. Mark tells us that all the disciples, including the apostles, flee on that occasion. And so, Mark chapter 14 and verse 50 says, And they all left him and fled. And so, all of those apostles, all the disciples who were with him, they're in the garden, they, they're, they're, they all flee, they all run away. In fact, if you look at verse 51, there's an interesting uh, account there. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. And so here's an unnamed man, maybe Mark himself, but an unnamed individual who was so afraid <laughs> on that occasion that he just, he just runs away. The, the scripture says naked. And so everybody flees on that occasion. Jesus is taken by the soldiers, first to Annas, who is father-in-law, of the high priest, and then to the home of Caiaphas. Accusations are made against him there, of course. Uh, false witnesses are, uh, are brought in to give their false testimony. They didn't really agree with each other. And Caiaphas himself begins to interrogate Jesus. And, and finally, he pronounces a death sentence to Jesus. He uh, condemns him to death because of blasphemy. The council meets then in the morning. There are lots of irregularities, maybe some illegalities involved in the, 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 the meeting at the home of Caiaphas. It's at night. Uh, uh, Caiaphas' uh, judge and jury and prosecutor all rolled into one. They're looking for false testimony, looking for false witnesses. So there are a lot of things that are questionable about that proceeding. It's an informal gathering, informal proceeding, trying to get everything lined up so that when the official meeting took place of the Sanhedrin, well then they would make their accusation and receive the official sentence. And so in the morning, the council meets, and there is an official pronouncement concerning Jesus. He's to be executed. He's worthy of death. Jesus then is taken to Pilate. He's accused of subverting the nation, encouraging non-payment of taxes to Rome, and claiming to be a king. And so they bring before Pilate what they consider to be very serious charges. And yet Pilate interrogates Jesus and on multiple occasions says, I I find no crime in him. I, I I don't see that he's done anything worthy of death. And He even tries to release him and takes several different approaches in those attempts to release Jesus, but eventually he washes his hands of the matter and gives Jesus over to the Jews and he's taken to be crucified. Jesus is scourged, he's slapped, he's beaten, uh, he's ridiculed and insulted. He carries his cross, at least uh, part of the way to the place of execution. And then his hands and his feet are nailed to the cross, and he's lifted up. The time is about nine o'clock in the morning, and so you might recall he's been up all night, and uh, uh, with the uh, apostles in the upper room, and then go to the garden, and then he's arrested, and then he's taken from place to place in the city of Jerusalem, then finally to Calvary or Golgotha, and finally he's nailed to the cross about nine o'clock in the morning. And then about 3 o'clock, He dies. He yields up the Spirit. While He's on the cross, He's ridiculed further. And so Matthew chapter 27 describes some of the things that people had to say about Jesus. Verse 38 says, At that time two robbers were crucified with Him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at Him and wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. And so they're, again, hurling more and more abuse, more and more ridicule, and showing more and more contempt for him. In the book of John, we find that the soldiers who have crucified Jesus divide His garments among themselves. And so verse 23 of John 19, when they had crucified Jesus, they took His outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. We're told in the book of Matthew that some people sat and watched him there. That that always has sort of impressed me. The the very idea that people just kind of take up find a spot and and sit down, and and they, they just watch. They just watch the scene and see this bloody victim nailed to a cross and people abusing him and ridiculing him and they they're just curiosity seekers and just watching the events as they sat there. Well back in John chapter 19 finally we come to some folks that seem to me to be heroes in the story. Verse 25, the soldiers did these things but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw His mother and the disciples whom he loved, disciple whom He loved standing nearby, He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into His own household. Now John would have fled with the rest of the disciples, but by this time He's made His way, made his way back to the cross. But it's really the women that I want to talk about, the women at the cross that I want to talk about tonight. It seems that the disciples, as we said several times, they're, they're, they're afraid, they don't know what to think, they flee. <laughs> but, but the women, once they find that Jesus is going to the cross, they, they go right along with Him. And when Jesus is crucified, they, they are there. <laughs> they, they are there to, to support they're there as allies of Jesus. When everybody else is afraid, it's the women that have the courage to associate with Jesus while He's there on the cross. And so i to talk a little bit about these women. We're going to talk about just each one of them a little bit, try to find out a little bit of information about them, and then make a, make a few points. So let's talk about these women. They're named for us here in John chapter 19 and verse 25. There's Jesus' mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so there are at least three people named Mary there in, uh, on, on the scene. And so let's talk about them a little bit. What do we know about them? Let's think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, we know from the Gospel accounts that she's a faithful woman A humble servant of God, in the Book of Luke, she describes herself as the Lord's handmaid. Verse one of uh, chapter chapter Luke chapter one, verse forty-eight. He has had regard for the humble state of his servant, his bond slave. For behold, this time on all generations will count me. From this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And so she's she's a faithful woman, faithful young woman, we would say, and uh, she considers herself a servant of God, a servant of the Lord. And so she's been chosen, of course, to be the woman to give birth to the Christ, the Messiah. We find in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is 12 years old, she and her husband Joseph take Jesus to the temple. Let's back up a little bit. Again, back in Luke chapter one, we find her taking Jesus to the temple when her days of purification are, are over. And so she's a law-abiding woman as well. So the law would require her to present Him to the Lord, which which she's careful to do. Then she takes Jesus to the temple and uh, to celebrate the, the Passover in Luke the second chapter as well. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 that as things happened in the life of Jesus, she, she would ponder them in her heart. Luke 2 and verse 19, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So when the shepherds came at the birth of Jesus. And then we find that again in Luke chapter 2 right at the end when Jesus is found in the, the temple at 12 years old. He went down with him, came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to him. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And so, and, so, and so Mary, as things unfold in the life of Jesus, she's watching him, watching him develop and so forth. And as things happen, she sort of stores them up in her heart and, and gives some serious thought to those things. In John, the second chapter, Jesus is an adult. And you remember they're in Cana at the marriage feast, and they've run out of wine. And so remember, it's Mary that approaches Jesus and and says, do something about this. And eventually Jesus provides wine for the people that were gathered there. And then in John chapter 19, we find her at the cross. In Acts chapter 1, going on ahead a little bit, in Acts chapter 1, we find the disciples together, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, is with them. And so in uh, verse 13, When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Philip and Thomas and the rest of the apostles. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so we find now Jesus, after the resurrection, his mother is, is with the disciples. And so Mary is at the cross, I don't think just as a mother concerned for her son, but also now she's following him as a disciple. We also find Mary Magdalene at the cross as well. She's a disciple of Jesus during his ministry. We read mainly about Mary Magdalene after the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the book of Mark tells us that she was the first one that Jesus appeared to. So, when He appeared to people after the resurrection, the first one He appeared to was Mary Magdalene. If you go back to Luke chapter 8, you'll find that Mary Magdalene is one of several women who followed Jesus and who supported Him out of their own private resources, out of their own private funds. And so verse 2 says, Also some of the women were with Him who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons was gone out, and Joanna, the, the wife of Cusa, her- Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. And so here's a group of women who have some resources, and they're supporting Jesus, and they're supporting the apostles as they go from place to place preaching and teaching. We also learn that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. It's pretty popular, uh, pretty popular uh, ideas that she had been a prostitute at one time. That's not in the scriptures, that developed sometime later. But Jesus did cast out seven demons from her. She gave strong testimony to the empty tomb. If you go to John chapter 20, you'll find uh, some details there about the appearance of Jesus to Mary Magdalene. And then in verse 18, it says, She came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that He said these things to her. And so Mary gives very strong testimony. I have seen the Lord. And so she's there as a disciple of Jesus. When I say she's there, she's at the cross as the disciple of Jesus. Now everybody else has fled, all the apostles, except for John, apparently nowhere to be found. But here are the the women, and and they're, they're right there with Him. They have the courage, the strength of character to follow Him to the cross. And then there's Mary, the wife of Clopas. Don't know very much about Mary, the wife of Clopas. Perhaps she's the same as Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, called in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, the other Mary. And if so, she was with Mary Magdalene observing the tomb where Jesus was laid. And so there were some women who, when Jesus was taken from the cross and put in the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, there were some women who were taking note of that. Let's see exactly where he was laid. They're going to come back later, you remember. And so Mary Magdalene was one of those, and Mary, this Mary, the wife of Clopas, or the other Mary, was with them as well. She was one of the women that went early in the morning to prepare Jesus for for burial. And she would be among the group of women to whom Jesus appeared, Now, first to Mary Magdalene, but then to another group of women, maybe a small group of women, not long after that. And so she would have been among that that group. And so again, she's a a disciple. So she's there as a disciple. And then there's The sister of Mary, perhaps Salome from Mark 15, verse 40. And I don't know very much. As a matter of fact, uh, in this particular passage, her name is not given. uh, That is Mary's sister. And so, if what we've said is, is correct, these are women of outstanding character, aren't they? They're faithful disciples. They're loyal, they're committed, they're courageous. All the men flee, you know. It's uh, the women who follow. Again, just like we said in the beginning, there are several villains in the story. People like Pilate and Judas and Caiaphas. There are some disappointments in the story. Peter certainly would be one of those, as he admitted. Uh, But then there are some heroes in the story as well. They're very courageous people. And these women are examples of that, examples of great strength. But you know, if you know the Bible, that's that's not really surprising, is it? That we would find women as heroes. That we'd find women of great courage and women of great moral strength. Now there are evil women in the Bible, of course. You think of Jezebel and and Athaliah and maybe a few others. But there are some real heroines in the Bible as well. Let's let's think about a few of those. Uh, If you were to create a list of heroic women in the Bible, who would be on your list? This morning I I, I said, you know, if you were to make a list of some of the great and wonderful works of God, what would be on your list? Well, here's another list. If you were to create a a list of heroic women in the Bible, who would be on that list? Well, let me me suggest a few. In Joshua chapter 2, we read about the spies going in to spy out the city of Jericho, and they're taken and hidden by a woman named Rahab. Now Rahab's character to that point is somewhat questionable of course. She's described as a harlot in the New Testament even. Uh, but but she, she's a woman of great faith by this time. And she's a woman of strong character. She's a courageous woman by this time. And so she makes a great confession, makes a great statement of faith in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. (laughs) That's a strong statement, isn't it? Especially made by a Canaanite woman. That's a strong statement of faith. And so she asked the spies, when you come in to take the city, will you you spare me and my family? And of course they said, you know, if you're in your house, get everybody that you're concerned about into your house, and we'll spare whoever is in the house. And if they're not in the house... We're not responsible, but get everybody in the house that you want to have saved. And, of course, she did. She's an outstanding woman of faith. She's she's a hero in the story. In fact, she's mentioned in the New Testament a couple of times. In Matthew chapter 1, we find that she's in the ancestry of Christ. She's an ancestor. She's in the lineage of Christ. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And, well, let's see, go back up a little bit further, and you find there uh, that uh, uh, Rahab is is mentioned. Well, that's verse 5. Rahab is mentioned in the lineage of Christ. So there's a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jewish woman. She's a Canaanite woman. And yet she comes to believe and takes a strong stand. And, of course, the Lord blesses her. Now now James uses her as an example of faith, as an example of someone who possessed a faith that works, and thus a full and complete faith. James chapter 2, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out by another way? Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so so Rahab becomes an example, a model used by a New Testament writer, model of faith and works. In Judges chapter 4, we find another heroic woman in the Bible. Her name is Deborah. She's one of the judges in Israel. In fact, she's she's called a judge or judge a, a female judge in Israel. And so, verse 4 of chapter 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife wife of Lepidote was judging was judging Israel at the time. So she's a leader in Israel, isn't it? She's She's judging Israel at that time. And she's called upon to defeat the Canaanites and Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. And so under her leadership, along with Barak, they defeat the Canaanites. And so verse 15 says, The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled on foot. He finds his way to the tent of another woman. Her name is J.L., and you remember what J.L. does. Uh, While uh, he's asleep, she takes a tit-peg and drives it through through his temple and kills him. Here's another strong woman, another heroic woman in the story of the Bible. Well, we also learn in the period when the judge is judged, there is a woman named Ruth who becomes a great hero in the Bible as well. Remember, Naomi and her husband Elimelech and and their two sons, because of the famine that's in Bethlehem, go over into Moab to to live and to to find food. And while they're there, the two sons marry. And Ruth enters into the family by marriage. And when the famine is over, Naomi's going to go back to Bethlehem. But she tells her two daughters-in-law to stay behind, and one of them is convinced to do so, but, but Ruth is not. She's going to go with Naomi. And listen to this confession of faith. Ruth said to her, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. This may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. So she goes, she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. By chance, one day she happens on the field of Boaz. And it's not really by chance, is it? God is directing these events. We we understand that. And uh, she meets Boaz and becomes his wife. And David descends from her. She's in the lineage of Christ as well, as uh, an ancestor of David. Now she's a Moabitess. Who pledges her allegiance to the God of Israel? Look at 2 Kings chapter 11. Here's a lesser known heroic woman in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 11. Now, one of the wicked women of the Bible rises up and she becomes queen for a period of time in Judah. Her name is Athaliah. She's the mother of Ahaziah, who served as king, and when, when he died, Well, then she rose up and she's going to to be queen. And she destroys all the royal offspring. And so every male that had, you know, some connection to the throne who could serve as king, qualify as king. Well, she had them them all killed. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. He was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years while Athaliah was reigning over Israel. Eventually he's brought out. He's six years old. He's brought out, and, and, and he becomes king. Athaliah Athaliah is killed. And so that's, that's a courageous move, isn't it? For this woman, Jehoshaphat, When when all these people are being killed, she takes this little child and she hides him away. Now, what's important about that? Well, it's not only important that she saved the, 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 the child who has a right to the throne, saves his life. She preserves the Davidic dynasty as well. So she's preserving David's dynasty. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said, Now David, one of your son, one of your descendants, will sit on the, the throne forever, and he reserved Judah uh, to be uh, ruled over by David's descendants. And so Jehoshaphat is preserving the dynasty of David. That's very important, isn't it? And so she's very courageous, very strong, very decisive in her actions. Now, you might have uh, run ahead of me already, but go over to the book of Esther. And Esther's another heroic woman in the Bible, especially Esther chapter 4. Remember, there's a threat against the the Jews throughout the empire by by Haman. And and Esther's, uh, Mordecai is uh, persuading her to, to act on their behalf. She's become queen by now. And Mordecai is persuading her, go, go to the king and make an appeal for us, your people. Verse 13, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Now let's skip down a little bit Verse verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who were found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for th- three days, night or day. I and my maidens also were fast in the same way. Thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. She, she could be killed. If the, if the king chose, when, when she went in, without invitation, and if I perish, I perish, she said. They're very courageous. She goes in, and of course, as it turns out, her people are spared. V- very strong, very, very courageous. And so when we, when we find these women at the cross, we're not, we're not really surprised. Well, throughout the Bible, we find courageous women, strong women, Sometimes uh, just stepping out in a very, very noble way to act decisively. And there are strong women in the New Testament as well. All these we've looked at are in the Old Testament. There are strong women in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 15, one of my personal favorites, is a Canaanitish woman. And she comes, or sometimes she's called a Syrophoenician woman, She comes and says, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And remember, that's the occasion when Jesus says, well, you know, it's not not right for me to go and and help you in this way. After all, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not appropriate to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. You remember that? What what did she say? Well, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. (laughs) Very strong statement, isn't it? Very, very strong statement of faith. And what does Jesus say to her in verse 28? O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus commends her faith. Here's a woman's strong faith and uh, appeals to Jesus in a very decisive way. In Matthew chapter 26, we read about a woman who comes, this is just prior to Jesus going to the cross. A woman comes and she anoints Jesus with uh, uh, costly perfume. Verse 7 says, She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Many of their disciples are upset about that. Well, you know, why this waste? This perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Well, why do you bother the woman? She's done a good deed for me. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare for me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Still talking about her, aren't we? <laughs> it's like Jesus said, wherever the gospel goes, we're going to keep talking about what this woman has done. Here we are 2,000 years later, We're still talking about her. We're still highlighting her faith and how she stepped out to anoint Jesus. In the book of Luke chapter 8, the other Gospels as well, but in Luke chapter 8, we find a woman following Jesus. She's had an issue of blood for for many years. And her her thought is, if I could just touch the hem of His garment, if if I could just reach out and touch His garment, well then, I would be healed. And of course, That's exactly what happens. And and she is healed. Verse 48 Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Lydia is the first convert in Philippi, the first convert on the European continent so far as we know. And so she steps out in faith. She makes a commitment to Jesus the Lord. And she tells her family about that as well. She leads others to Christ. Now, if you think about that, Philippi is a strong church, isn't it? We have the letter written to the Philippians, and they help support Paul. And Paul says, You know, I have you in my heart, and very close connection with the church at Philippi. Well, Lydia is in, in on the ground floor in the church at Philippi. She's one of the first converts there. And so that speaks very well of her as well. She was part of the beginnings. In Acts chapter 18, Paul meets a man and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla. They become companions of Paul. We find them in Ephesus. We find them in Rome. We find them again in Ephesus. In at least two places, we read that the church was in their house. Apparently, they opened their home for the church to meet. And so they're very committed people, they're very strong. And so here's Aquila, the wife. And, or, or the husband and his wife Priscilla. And they're working together as husband and wife in preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel and encouraging the church. And then finally in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1 we read about Phoebe who is a servant of the church which is at Synchria. And we don't know exactly what all she did but an outstanding, outstanding figure in her service in the church at Synchria. You know, the Bible portrays women in a very positive way. We've looked at several women in the Old Testament, women in the New Testament, women that are strong in their character, strong in their faith. They're courageous. They step out. They, they kind of put their, their lives on the line sometimes, so to speak, in, in faith. And they're heroes. They're, they're to be admired. Now, the Bible teaches that in the home and in the church, women are to... Take a position of subjection to learn in quietness. We'll see a couple of passages along those lines. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. Husband or Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So in the home... The wife is to be subject to her husband. That's the order that God has established for the home. And and in the church as well, a woman is to assume a position or take a position of quietness and and learning. We see that in 1 Timothy 2, for example, in verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but... To remain quiet. We see that's consistent with what's taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as well, where the women are to be silent in the churches. A lot of people hear words like submit and be subject to and, and be silent, and assume that the Bible teaches the Bible teaching is oppressive to women. But it's just not true, is it? It misunderstands the teaching about these things, about being in subjection, and learning in quietness, and so it distorts that teaching. And it neglects what the Scriptures teach about the value of women in other ways in the kingdom. As we've seen throughout the pages of the Old Testament, New Testament alike, women rise up and are very valuable, great acts of courage in the Bible. A couple of points to be made. First of all, let's, let's not get pulled away or drawn in by the world's distortion of what the Bible says about women. And so to, to listen to the world, you, you don't want to, to believe the Bible. It, it oppresses women. It represses women. It keeps them down. But, but really it doesn't do that at all. Uh, it portrays women as pe- women of, uh, men, uh, people of strong faith, strong courage. And then the New Testament teaches that women should serve in the kingdom in important ways. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that we look at from time to time, one that encourages us to do whatever we can to build up the body of Christ, from whom, that is from Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. And so the proper working of each individual part That's men and women alike, isn't it? And so every part of the body contributes to the health and strength and well-being of the body. So that's all members of the body, male and female. In Romans chapter 12, there we're encouraged to use our gifts, to use the abilities that God has given us, again, to to build up the church. Verse 3 says just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now look at the gifts. If prophecy according to the proportion of His faith, if serving in His service, well men and women alike can serve each other, right? And so these are not, we would say, these are not gender specific, are they? In, in service, the one who teaches in his teaching. Now, we may not have a woman addressing the assembly from the pulpit or teaching a class of men, but, but certainly women are to be involved in teaching. Titus chapter 2 tells older women to teach the younger women, encourage the younger women to love their husband, love their children. And so, and so women are, are, are able to teach and ought to teach one who exhorts in his exhortation one who gives with liberality one who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness and so and so women are able to use their abilities use their gifts whatever they might be to the building up of the body of Christ if you go over to Romans chapter 16 as Paul identifies specifically in it's many of these he identifies by name. We, we see a number of women in the list. We've talked about Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. There's Priscilla and Aquila there in verse 3. says they, they risk their own necks for, uh, for him and for the gospel. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, or Junia, possibly a female name, a woman's name there in verse 7. And we read about others as well. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. And those are feminine names. In verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And, and then verse 15, greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And so these, these must be outstanding figures. In the church. Paul calls them by name or specifies them uh, in a very direct way. They're outstanding servants in the kingdom. And so every person, male and female alike, has something to offer for the good of the kingdom. May we use these gifts to the greatest extent possible. The women at the cross, in my judgment anyway, they're, they're really heroes, aren't they? They're Strong figures in the story. All the men scatter. All the men are afraid. (laughs) We find the women building themselves up with courage, going to the cross, uh, and identifying themselves with Jesus. They're not unique in the Bible. Many women, as we've seen, play heroic roles. May each of us, male, female, man, woman, use the ability that God's given us for building up the body. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had today to come together and to worship you and to look into your word and find encouragement there and find strength there. Help us along the way. Father, we're we're thankful that uh, the account of the crucifixion has included uh, the presence of the women at the cross. We're inspired by, by their courage and their boldness to associate themselves with your Son when so many, when so many fled and uh, were, were afraid. Our Father, we pray that we will have that same courage, that we might stand up and speak up and step out for the cause of Christ, that we won't be overcome by timidity or by fear, but we'll be bold in our affirmation of the faith as these were. Father, we're mindful of them, these women, as, as they went out and told others about the resurrection of Jesus, that they had seen Him. And so they gave their, their, their account and their report of the resurrection of Jesus. And may we too, Father, be bold in our affirmation of our faith in the resurrected Christ and pledge our allegiance to Him as we go through this life. Father, again, we're thankful for Your Word and for the inspiration that it provides us. May we think about these things carefully and deeply, and may we become the kind of people that You would have us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here to